from the Gospel according to St. John. Listen for the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our human condition has been in an identity crisis since the time human beings were formed. Our identity with God, our identity with ourselves, our identity with, with one another and, and faith community as it is. And these I am statements that are part of our Lenten series, the corollary book, The God We Can Know, is, is one that is being studied in our congregation these, these statements are identity-marking statements. When Jesus says, I am, it says something of his identity. We should receive that as, as a message of our identity too, namely what we don't have to be. For example, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it gives me great comfort that I can stop trying to feed my soul in ways that aren't healthy. I can stop trying to, to feast off of fast food and fast living and, 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 and greed and control and power and whatever else it is that we think we need to fill ourselves up with in order to satisfy ourselves. And so we fast to focus on our bread of, of life, and we do that by feeding others. In a similar way, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, I hear, I hear this radiance coming from, from God, that something is, is coming to light. I, I also hear it as a message that darkness does not last. It cannot last. It was never meant to last. And that's a new identifying marker for your life. You don't have to spend inordinate amounts of time trying to feed and to satisfy yourself. The bread of life has come. And we don't have to get so caught up in, in a race of what is enlightening to us because the light of the world has come. You know, we try to identify ourselves through, through names. We've just baptized John Britton into the family of God. He is known by Christ and the church by those two names. His family name is one that he inherited, just like yours, just like mine. And sometimes uh, those surnames are places of origin or trade, like the name Cooper, it means barrel maker, uh, Smith, you know, could mean any number of blacksmith or whatever. And over time, we, we tell ourselves or allow culture to tell ourselves that those are our identifying markers, our name, our, our place of origin, our family, our trade, our profession, and that is true. We even try to make more of a name for ourselves. The deeper we get into life, so here we are with this I am statement, I am the light of the world. It's Jesus' way of trying to mark our identity in a new way. He works very closely with these dualisms, doesn't he? Scripture does that. Paul does it too. Light and dark, flesh and, and spirit. And this is one of those cases. Darkness tries to identify us and define us every day too. The darkness of depression tries to be our identity. The darkness of addiction, the darkness of grief, 
The darkness of fear about how things will turn out. The darkness of tearing people down. The darkness of apathy and complacency. The darkness of guilt and shame can be so dark that it feels like we're journeying through life storms with a parachute strapped to us. We can't move. But what if we refuse to allow the darkness to cover our lives and hear closely Jesus say, I am the light of the world and you are my children. You are children of the light. Not by name, not by profession, but by my identity, by who I say that you are. For a little bit of context, Jesus says these words amid some religious tension. You see, in John's gospel, Jesus was kind of stirring things up according to the religious side of the house. The, Jesus was always bumping into church and state and relationships and boundaries and expectations and understandings. And, and this time he's pushing a little bit on the religious establishment. So much so that um, one of the, the illumined... Uh, Pharisees had to come to Jesus by night. You know him by name as Nicodemus. Nicodemus, an enlightened Pharisee, came by dark to Jesus, the light of the world, to ask questions about life. Now get that. <laughs> the very next passage, Jesus meets a woman in broad daylight, a woman at the well, changes her story, changes, begins changing Nicodemus's stories. There's this light and dark going on back and forth and back and forth. And as it progresses, as, as the crescendo is building, officers are sent out to arrest Jesus, and they return back empty-handed, and, and they're asked, where's Jesus? You were supposed to arrest him. And their reply is, never has anyone spoken like this. We might say, we, we've never heard something like that. Nicodemus makes a second appearance. He goes to bat for Jesus. He says, yeah, before we judge him, let's allow him to, to have his day. Let's allow him to express himself, to explain himself. I can't help but think that this progression of Jesus, the light of the world, changing the stories of people, some who come to him by day, some in the broad daylight, they both are basking in next to and in light of the light of the world. It, it pauses us in our tracks and makes us ask things like Nicodemus what if I've been wrong about this? What if I'm wrong about this now? It makes us say things like, I might have more to learn than, than I currently realize. You see, the light of the world gives us a pathway that offers us some steps forward in wisdom and truth. Truth always comes to the light. And I think when we allow the light of the world into our lives, it exposes the dark places of our lives, those places that need to be revealed, those places that need to be redeemed, those places that need to be returned and restored and reconciled. The light of the world does that. Just prior to this text, he's, he's asked to make judgment on somebody, a woman, who's been caught in an awful act. 
And his religious friends and leaders are saying, Stoner, you know that's legal. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Story after story, life after life, Jesus is changing their trajectory. These I am statements are kind of like Jesus saying, I get it, Dad was a little bit nebulous with the I am thing, so let's put some meat on these bones. And he says, I am bread. You'll never be hungry again. Not in your soul. If you keep feasting. He says, I am the light of the world. Meaning there's no amount of darkness that Jesus Christ can't help us overcome in our lives. And, and that tr truly is a way to read Scripture. I don't know if you need a model, but here's a model for you. From Genesis to Revelation, thematically, uh, it's a movement from darkness to light. What were God's very first words as recorded in Genesis? Let there be light. Okay, now we get out a lot quicker if you just help. Come on. Let there be light. You got it. Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Matthew 4 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You got it. Let your light so shine before people that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness couldn't over. Time and again, by the time we get to the end of the Bible in Revelation, there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, and no more darkness. God brings it all to light. It seems like it's God's mission to get rid of darkness. At one time, it was a pillar of fire for the Hebrews. During the Maccabean revolt, from where we have Hanukkah, it was a festival of, of lights. There was enough oil. Because it couldn't be that dark. I think if there's one theme related to darkness, related to this current sermon series that, that I hope we'll just grasp onto. Maybe you'll want to write it down. It's just all that we need, Jesus is. Whenever we feel a gap in our identity, like we're not enough, Jesus already is. Whenever we find our places in, in life's darkness, Jesus is already there. Whenever we are wandering, Jesus is. Whenever we go hungry or thirsty or lonely or scared, Jesus is. I have this vague memory from visiting a cave in North Alabama when I was seven or eight years old. Have you been to those caves in North Alabama, DeSoto and other places like that? Well, we went with our class for a field trip and we meandered our way off of that bus and down into the belly of of one of those caves, and there were the stalagmites and the stalactites and the dripping and a bat or two flying around. It was the coolest thing, you know, for a seven or eight-year-old kid. And then this park ranger did something that, I don't know, it was not cool. He said, have any of you ever been in pitch black darkness? No! You know. Okay, so you know what's coming next. All the lights went out. And it was pitch black dark. It was so dark you could feel the darkness. You could sense the darkness, smell it almost. 
What we couldn't do is find the hand of our classmate or a teacher. I didn't know where my feet were. <laughs> I didn't know where my nose was. I just know I didn't need to move, right? And when you get in that kind of darkness, that depth of darkness, fear sets in, start panicking. Where's my mom and dad? Will I ever see them again? You know, it's been like 10 seconds at this point. But deep darkness makes us feel that way. And then that park ranger did something I'll never forget. He took out one lighter. And do you know from that single flame, we could see every single face around us? In deep darkness, the light of one flame can make all the difference. In the darkness, we don't know where we are. We cannot see where we're going. Let me say that again. In life's darkness, we don't know where we are. And we can't see where we're going. Jesus, the Christ, came and said, I am the light of the world. I will help you see where you are. And if you follow me, I'll tell you where you need to go. There's any number of ways that darkness creeps into our lives, trying to give us an alternative story so dark we can't see our hand in our face, much less the path we should walk. It reminds me of a story uh, Rabbi Hugo Grin tells. I think I've told it from here before. It's just such a powerful part of my understanding of this text. Uh, he was in Auschwitz as a little boy in the concentration camp surrounded by death and starvation and evil, evil. And the practicing Jewish community had to hold on to whatever shreds of religious observances they could without drawing the attention or the wrath of the guards. And one cold winter's evening, uh, Hugo's father gathered the family in, in the barracks. It was just them. And it was the first night of Hanukkah, the festival of lights, yeah. And this young child watched in horror as his father took the last pad of, of butter, unfolded it, he tore a piece of his ragged garment and he stuck that down in the butter as a wick and he had one match and he lit it. And the boy cried out, Father, no, the butter is the last of our food. We, we have to have it to survive. How will we make it? His father said, we can live for many days without food. We cannot live a single minute without faith and without hope. This, he said, is the light of hope. Never let it go out, he said. Not here in Auschwitz. Not anywhere. I can't help but think that there's a lesson to be learned there that whatever we need to do to take our last pat of butter and if it's the last string we have and the last match we have, we keep being the light. 
we keep finding ways to position ourselves to receive the light. Edith Wharton, you know the author, Edith Wharton said, there are two ways for spreading light. You can be a candle or you can be a mirror. Don't you love that? You can be a candle. We can light our light and there's no amount of darkness that can overcome a single flame. Or we can also be a mirror and we can receive that light and reflect that light into the deepest, darkest crevices of life and shame and guilt, doubt, fear. How is it, as we challenge ourselves in preparation for communion, as we come forth and present our hands, how is it that we, we need to be the light this week, receive the light this week, and then be the light? Because, you know, Jesus is going to say, I am the bread of life, feed my sheep. And then he's going to say, I'm the light of the world. And then he says, you are the light of the world. How are you being light? I'll leave you with a story that Freud wrote about, uh, about a three-year-old boy who was crying in the pitch black dark at home, and he was visiting one evening. And the boy cried out to his, to his aunt. He said, uh, uh, talk to me. It's so dark in here. Just talk to me. I'm scared to death. And his aunt answered from the other room, well, what good would that do? You can't see me. What good does it do if I talk to you in a dark room? And that little three-year-old boy said, it doesn't matter. But when you talk to me, it gets light. When we travel in life's dark moments, and we've had quite a few this week, we've had five funerals in seven days. And families within our church are walking through the valleys of life's shadows, the valley of the shadow of death even. And as we've celebrated those, those lives, we have one more we'll celebrate in just a couple of hours. We'll celebrate Alan's life. His life um, was a love for God's creation, and, and he poured himself into learning all he could about creation and nature and then shared it with thousands of students. That's a ray of light in a very dark valley. I thought a lot about one of our other church members who rearranged his entire formal living den, pulled out all the, the furniture and made a playroom out of it to build um, sets with his grandchildren <laughs> and then rolled around on the floor with them. And that, that's a single flame of hope amid dark shadows. I thought about a, the loss of a family matriarch this past week too and how uh, one of the legacy pieces that she passes on is is love for her spouse and for her family and love for this church. And that lives on now two and three generations beyond her own life. And in that dark, grieving valley of the shadow, there was light. And there were hundreds of people on our campus this week coming to pay respects and offer memories and moments of hope. And, and each one of those was a single flame because around here at our church, we say nobody walks through grief alone. It's too dark. We have to receive the light and then be the light. So when we travel those dark moments, when you're sitting in the night, sometimes the light of Christ comes to you from another who will not allow you to walk darkness alone. Listen for that light. Be that light. We should sing this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Sing it. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. 
This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine. Let's do it.